This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Uh, busy day. I'm sitting at the office today and suddenly a press release comes out. And the Ticats, the 0-8 Ticats, the generally thoroughly abysmal all year long Ticats, have decided they're going to make a coaching change. But of course, the Ticats being the Ticats, this is not how most teams do it. Kent Austin, who is also the Vice President of Football Operations, fired himself essentially today and promoted June Jones, who was brought in two or three weeks ago from Hawaii who has not coached as a head coach in a while, and certainly the last time he was a coach in the CFL before this was, I think, 1986. It's all very curious and very interesting, and joining me to try and explain all this is Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Sir, how are you tonight? Well, it's been a busy day, Scott. It really has. I mean, this uh, this news about this team and, and how it all went down, uh, happening in the bye week where, you know, in most occasions, 90% of the players are either gone home or gone to their girlfriends or visiting family or taking vacations. So there's not a lot of players around. Uh, the team are, have an extended amount of period to to sort of relax and rejuvenate and look forward to the second half. So I guess this was an interesting time for the for the, uh, probably the correct time for a change to happen if if this was going to happen. So, uh, are you surprised though? I mean, first of all, look, I'm not in any way surprised that if a change was going to be made, that it was June Jones. A lot of people figured when he showed up here, they dragged him here from Hawaii. He's not coming here to stand around and do nothing. If there was going to be a head coaching change, I think we all had to believe it was probably going to be him. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I I said that from day one, and I think even in my questioning during uh, of Kent Austin during the press conference when June was introduced, I I, I was I mean without saying I mean, and I thought it would be disrespectful to for me to ask him if this is this is this your placement as a head coach if this team continues to lose, but it turns out that's the way. I mean, you're right. I mean, sort of in semi-retirement, uh, you know, June Jones' resume is outstanding as an offensive uh, leader in terms of offense. And, and coaching offenses, uh, a, a stint in the National Football League uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, his resume is, is outstanding. But to get a guy, as you said, out of semi-sort of retirement, out in Hawaii, I think he was there were some administration duties he was going to do in St. Louis, to come to Canada. I mean, years and years later, and I knew he did. He had a friendship with Eric Tillman, the general manager, to come here and just try and you know use his philosophies and help out the Hamilton Tiger Cats and their struggling offense just seemed a little fishy to me. Well, he came from. Uh, we were joking today since he came from Hawaii and he has these uh, you know guys that he likes. We're waiting how long until Timmy Chang makes a return? Timmy <laughs> Chang starting at quarterback on Labor Day for the Tiger Cats. Here's the big question though: You make a change like this. Is it going to make any difference? And because if it's if it makes a difference, Bubba, I have to come to only one conclusion. For, well, let me back up. If it makes no difference, if they continue to lose, what this means is the players just aren't good enough that they have on the field. If it makes a big difference, if the Ticats come out on Labor Day and they are fired up and they play a great game and Zach Caleros and all the rest of the guys look great, this can only, to me, suggest how much they must have hated Kent Austin. Well, we we have to temper that though, because if the if, if the Argonauts, uh, sorry, the Tiger Cats come out and just destroy the Argonauts, I don't think you can make that conclusion yet. We've seen in pro sports many times when there's a coaching change, there's an immediate uh, injection of new energy, a new voice. But at the end of the day, talent wins football games. Talent wins baseball, hockey. Talent wins all the time, and. 
I've been asked by different radio stations, different people across the country that, you know what, has Ken Austin lost the room? And I've always responded with the same thing. What does that mean? What, is, what does losing the room mean? Because, uh, as you can say, with the likes of, say, a Scott Bowman many years with the Montreal Canadiens, who the players d- could not stand. But winning cures all, and that's all because of talent. And I personally don't think the Tiger Cats have enough talent. I think they have some highly talented players, but it, football is more is not like hockey or sorry like basketball or some other sports where a cup, one or two individuals can lead you to you know to the promised land. Football, I mean, it's twenty four guys on the field, and I don't think there's across the board that twenty four guys on that Tiger Cat field, even though they're working hard, I don't think they're good enough. Well and when you say what what does it mean when he loses the room? What I would suggest the answer to that, and again I think that's a crutch or that's a cliche that gets thrown out a lot, but when I say he loses the room, if you're a team that is close to victory, if if if, if it's you could lean one way or the other, you're good enough to compete, but you may not be a great team and the t- and the team doesn't play to their potential week after week, that to me is when you lose the room. And, and if you're a coach that can still motivate the players to play to their full potential, that means you haven't lost the room. And so but, what we're going to find out, though, but, is... But Scott, what is motivation? This is professional sports. I know, I, I know. I, I get what you're saying if this, was the, if this was the NCAA or U Sports or high school, where the amount of motivation and the raw, raw stuff definitely has an effect on the athletes. These are athletes that professional athletes that are gener- have generally come from winning programs and want to win. So why have coaches at all then? Why do pro sports have coaches at all then? Because because they're there to set the game plan and that kind of stuff and execute the game plan. Players play, the coaches set the game plan and coach, and it's up, it, it, and it's up to the players to go out and execute the game plan. Now I will say, and I I've, I've I haven't hidden this, I. I criticize Ken Austin and some of his approaches, especially on the offensive side of the ball and the way they they prepare. Not pre- I shouldn't say prepared because I think they prepare hard, but the, the actual schemes. I I don't know if they're a good match for the the talent level that they have out there. So that's my my problem in terms of you know maybe what Ken Austin wasn't getting out of his team. But I know I've talked to too many guys on that team, and then they want to win desperately, and 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 that would be in spite of Ken Austin. So, again, that whole losing the room and motivation thing, I, I don't really get. But I do believe that some of the strategies used, in, at least in the last, we can, we'll just talk about this season, in the last eight games, just aren't good enough. And in some cases, like, like when they played Calgary, the talent just isn't good enough. Well, the strategy, I read a funny tweet today. Uh, I thought it was funny. And that is... Um that uh, maybe now that we have June Jones running the team, this is a fan writing this in, maybe now that we have June Jones running the team, we can have a little more of a balanced attack because Kent Austin liked to throw the ball. If Kent Austin liked to throw the ball, June Jones has never met a pass he didn't like. There's going to be less running probably under, at least historically, unless he changes his tact. This is going to be, I believe, a very similar Offense. I don't see him coming in and reworking this whole offense because Kent Austin and June Jones are are kindred spirits when it comes to how they like to play the game. They like to throw the ball. Now, there will be tweaks, I'm sure. And what will be really interesting is can June Jones find something within that throw-happy, pass-happy offense, A, to protect Zach Caleros better, and B, to get Zach Caleros playing a little bit better. And if he can, maybe you got something then. 
you're totally correct in that assessment there of the, of the two coaches because you're right. Uh, if Ken Austin is a thrower, well then you're you're exactly June Jones is a master coach of throwers and and it's led many of his quarterbacks under his tutelage: Brett Favre, Jim Kelly, uh, Jeff George, uh, several quarterbacks at the University of Hawaii, putting up massive records in terms of yardage and touchdown passes and maybe it helped Zach Caleros a little bit somehow. We've seen some new wrinkles in the last couple of weeks that he's, that, that he's been here sort of mentoring uh, the, the offense, and, and more in particular, Zach Caleros. But you, we're perhaps going to see a different type of passing attack, maybe one that's a little less vertical-reliant, maybe some shorter passes. I mean, you know, we always used to hear about the, you know, Bill Walsh of the San Francisco 49ers many years, that he, that he would love Steve Young and, and Joe Montana would throw these four-yard passes that would gain four or five yards that were equi- equivalent to the run. So maybe we'll see a little bit more of that and a little bit more of, uh, less of the sort of strong vertical game that, that Austin sort of had that requires an offensive line to work a little harder and protect a little longer because they certainly don't have the tools. To, I mean, we've seen it. We've all watched it. They, what's going on right now just isn't working. I mean, they're averaging through these eight games 18.5 points per game. That's just that's. I mean, in the NFL, you can probably win some games by averaging that point total. In yeah, but the they're CFL, losing. Yeah, and they're losing by more than twenty points a game. Uh, well, they're. I mean, we did a little comparison here. I mean, I can did a little comparison, Scott, of the two thousand and five team that were zero and eight at this time, and the the zero and eight Tiger Cats right now. That team in two thousand and five, which were a despicable bunch under Greg Marshall, they were awful. They were giving up thirty two points per game. This team here that we that we're watching in this present day is averaging a couple percentage points over 38, 38 points per game. The defense is giving up. Now there are I think there are some reasons for that. It's because the offense is they're the two and out or throwing interceptions or fumbling. So the defense is on the field far too long. So they they have to if you talk about balance and maybe not so much in the passing and running game they've got to get a balance where that defense is on the field less so maybe yeah. more consistency on the offense maybe seeing some runs and shorter passes you know we always hear the cliche it's one of the great sports cliches the best offense is a good defense for the Hamilton Tiger Cats it's the complete opposite their defense is really awful so the way you build your defense is by, as you say, having your offense on the field. For them, the best defense is a good offense. Just don't let the defense be on the field, and maybe you actually have a chance, because that's the other thing. June Jones coming in here, clearly, I don't expect, is going to have any direct impact on the defense. He is not a defensive coach. Where he's going to be able to make this team better, if he is, the offense will be better, which will allow the defense a chance to breathe and not be facing as many downs played against them. Absolutely, and and that's what needs to happen to, for the defense to be more successful. And you know what? And I mark it this way: in the fact that throughout the eight losses, with the exception of the the debacle in Calgary, they've been rather competitive through a half, or games have been close going into the fourth quarter. But once again, when you look at that time of possession, which sometimes is a very overrated statistic, when they're not on the field, or sorry, when the defense is on the field that long, by the time they hit the fourth quarter. They're exhausted. They're gassed. And perhaps that's what we saw in, in the game that really the Tiger Cats should have won, and that's the home game against Edmonton where they had, I mean, they led for, for 19 minutes and 27 seconds. 
and then lost the game in the final 33 seconds. I love hearing you say how they've been competitive for a half of the game. There must be bluebirds flying around in the sky above <laughs> your house. <laughs> You're such a happy optimist. Bubba the optimist today. Uh, we got a couple minutes left here. Here's the, here's the big thing, I think, if you are the Ticats front office right now. They want to win games. I know they want to win games. But you've pointed out, we've talked about this, Rick Zampern on the fifth quarter took the Ticats to task for this after the last game, uh, about the attendance. There are a lot of people not in the stands for the last couple home games at Tim Hortons Field, which is new. And I look at this and I'm wondering, A, I'm not going to question, I, I, I have no way to know whether in any way this was driven by concerns about the business side, so I'm not going to assume or pretend it was. But I do wonder if it is if there is time enough for people in this city, if people will buy it and still go to games thinking June Jones can turn this around, do you think this can possibly save attendance and make the season, I don't know, compelling for fans now? Uh, Scott, absolutely. I mean, when the discussion was had about the future, I mean, at the end of last game, at the end of the Tiger Cats' last loss against, uh, against Ottawa, Ken Austin stood in front of the media and said that everyone would be evaluated. Now, we've heard that before, but he also included himself here. And so when there were discussions with CEO Scott Mitchell and uh, the likes of uh, Bob Young, the owner, that also had to come into it because football's a business as well, too. And I've said this and maintained this for many, many years. The Tiger Cats are a wonderful franchise. They put together a great show. The, the I mean... Putting aside the, the what happens on the field, I mean, the, the, the announcer's fun, there's action going on, there's giveaways. The actual package is good, but the, t- the team on the field has struggled. And they've done everything right except put together a winning football team. This is a city that has been without a great cup victory since 1999. And Bob Young has revived the Tiger Cats. I mean, don't need to go back into the old days of what happened at Iverwin. But he revived, he helped revive the franchise. And when you see, and, and Rick is right, uh, and your other colleague there, Drew, Drew Edwards at the, at the Spectator, correct. From what we're hearing, at the, the, this 31 straight games of consecutive sellouts, distributed tickets, not bums in seats, maybe not even sold tickets. It's distribution-based. And I've been at all of these games, and I look across at the stands, I see open patches, I see empty seats, and I can't believe they're all on the concourse grabbing beers, right? And this I, definitely has a direct uh, effect, or at least as a direct result of the results of wins and losses. And you're right, if they lose on Labor Day, that place will be half-filled. because. Well, their next home game is Saskatchewan, which is always a tough draw anyway, and it's a Western team, and its school absolutely. is back, and it would that, that would be tough. But I, I, I'm going to be very interested. We've got to go. I'm going to be very interested because of what I started this with. If the Ticats come out of the gate on Labor Day, which is always an emotional game, they always get pumped up anyway, if they come out and play really, really well, I, I, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but in this league, mathematically, they are still in it. And they have a few, they have, I think, six games left with Eastern, uh, five after that one with Eastern Conference teams. A lot of you know, home dates. You, you, you play Ottawa again, maybe you beat Ottawa. Now you're two and eight, which is still a horrible record, but you know what? We're only maybe three points, maybe a point out of third place. Yeah, and I, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I don't I expect Ottawa, that, 
but I, I think that it'd be want to go on a run. Scott. Yeah, but I, I, I don't expect that. And especially you watch tonight. I mean, the uh, Winnipeg is playing Montreal tonight. If Winnipeg wins that game now, the crossover becomes even more daunting. Um, but you know what? It, it's going to be so interesting to see if there is a different attitude in the players. If you see a different spark in the players. And you're right. When you have a new coach, there always is, to some degree, a little bit. But if it's discernibly, noticeably different throughout the whole course of the game, that is going to be intriguing. That's really, to me, what I'm watching for in this next game on Labor Day. Is this just a first few series where we're all excited about a new coach, or is this a different-looking team? Well, Scott, if this team turn around and go 9-9 nine and nine or something like that, and you're right, get on some type of crazy run, uh, boy, that'll be a lot of egg, egg on face of, of, of Ken Austin. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It, it would. And if they end up going two and sixteen, then it. I don't know who the egg is on the. I mean, he did help pick the player, so it may still be on his face. But maybe it wasn't as a coach. Maybe Ken Austin then gets to not be seen as having had a miserable coaching season this year. It's the guys that he had to work with. We will see. We will see. Uh, Bob O'Neill, you can watch Bubba's report. I'm sure you've got a doozy lined up for eleven o'clock tonight. You've got. Four hours, three and a half hours to build up the 15-minute sports cast of the life of Kent Austin. Talk to every one of June Jones' childhood friends from Hawaii who want to talk about him. It'll be a documentary on June and Kent. Tonight. Well, I, can't, I can't wait to hear what June's got to say tomorrow, quite honestly. Yeah, press conference tomorrow with June Jones. Um, hey, by the way, you know what June Jones' middle name is? I, no. I, found, I learned this today. Sheldon. Sheldon? Sheldon. So from I'll, I'll call him that. Yes. See, see what he thinks about that. <laughs> Quick break. We got to go. Bobby, thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. And you know it's a big night for fighting because Saturday night, they're saying, some people are saying, this is the biggest night in the history of fighting. I'm not sure I buy that. But you do know what's going on, right? Friday, Saturday night. We've got Conor McGregor, MMA fighter, world greatest hype meister of all time, fighting against Floyd Mayweather, one of the best boxers of all time, 49-0, never been knocked down. Each guy is getting something like $100 million for this. They're expecting that the pay-per-view revenue is going to eclipse $500 million just in North America. That's not even counting around the rest of the world. Apparently, people still like fighting. I'm just telling you, if you're sitting there saying, this is so stupid, why are people fighting? I'm telling you why, because there's $500 million that people are willing to spend to watch a big fight. But here's the thing. As far as I'm concerned, looking at this from a distance, and I'm going to bring on a guest in a moment who can talk about this. As far as I'm concerned, boxing, boxing has everything to lose this night. Floyd Mayweather, as I said, is the best, bo- well, one of the best boxers of all time. Probably the best defensive boxer. He never gets hit. Conor McGregor has just basically started training as a boxer four months ago, five months ago. He has earned his reputation as an MMA fighter. So if Floyd Mayweather wins, well, he's supposed to win. But if Floyd Mayweather wins and it's close or goes to a decision, Wow, the, one of the best boxers in the world could barely beat a guy who's just started. And heaven forbid if Conor McGregor wins, 
What happens to boxing then? I mean, because if Conor McGregor loses, he's supposed to lose. I can tell you who's going to be able to answer that question. Vinny Ryan runs McGrory's Boxing Club. He has long been a provincial coach, a national coach, an international coach. He's one of the wisest and best boxing folks you're going to ever find. And better than any of that, Vinny Ryan is honestly one of the nicest men you're ever going to meet, especially here in Hamilton. He is a really good guy, and I'm thrilled to have him with me tonight. Vinny, how are you tonight? Are you talking about me? One of the nicest guys. I, I, you know, I really am, and... Um, but you know what? As I say, you're a guy, you're a boxing guy. You have given your life to boxing. You've spent your life teaching boxing. I can't believe that this is not a night that is going to be of some concern to people like you and to other boxing people, that there's an awful lot at stake that Floyd Mayweather isn't just fighting for Floyd Mayweather. He is fighting for your sport. Well, I, I agree with you in, in that context, but what I've also found out lately was that, well, as today, that uh, Colin McGregor won three Irish titles in boxing when he was 11 and 12 years of age. And uh, he, he comes from about a mile where I live in, in uh, Dublin, Ireland. And he has a little bit of experience behind him, but nothing, nothing compared to Mayweather. I feel that uh, it could probably benefit both. A lot of people looking at the uh, MMA or, or that, uh, they'll probably be so happy to see one of their top guys getting in with the number one boxer in the world today. Whether they win or lose, it is exciting. And the one thing about it is this is not to display the difference between both sports. It's money. Well, oh, absolutely. And, and all, all money. I'd get in with him myself I, for that amount of money. You know, Vinny, for $100 million bucks, I'd get in there without any clothes on, and I'd let him beat me with a hammer. I mean, yeah. for $100 million <laughs> bucks, that's a lot of money. But, but it, again, like boxing, to me, if, if Floyd Mayweather goes in there, and a lot of people think he is so much better, and I think he is too, but if I Floyd mean, Mayweather goes in there and knocks him out in the first round, that, to me, is the only way that MMA loses this night. Yes. It, it, it's, that's correct. Now, I think that they'd be sensible enough to carry him a couple of rounds before he does knock him out. Because this, by any stretch of the imagination, is not a serious, serious fight. It's a money fight. And they want to give money worth, the money's worth to the uh, spectators and the people who paid the cash there. And that's what it's all about. Do you think so, though? Because, and and I, your, your point is, is, is well taken. I understand what you're saying on this. On the other hand, though, would Floyd Mayweather not want to make a statement by dispatching him so quickly that everyone says this was just ridiculous? He's so much better that it's not even funny. You're, you're totally correct in that assumption because Floyd Mayweather is a very proud individual and rightly so for what he has achieved. But if he kills the golden goose in the first round, they're not going to be able to put on any of these other shows mm. again. There'll be no match or anything. Now, if, on the other hand, if McGregor comes along and puts a surprise in and knocks out Mayweather, wow! N- now, now you're going to have a rematch. You talk about how much money they'll make on <laughs> You know, I, I am purely a boxing coach i don't follow the other the other mma or any of that i don't even look at it because it's there's so much violence you know the guys 
punching them uh, or heading them, kicking them, and all of this stuff. That that's what I expect to see out on a street and outside of a bar, but certainly not in an arena. Was this then? When you look at, at the fact that, I mean, yes, it, there's a lot of money. You, you hit the nail on the head. This is all about money. I grant you that. No one, I don't think, is ever going to dispute that, that this is the driving force behind this. But was this a good idea? And, and again, I'm not talking about from Conor McGregor's side. From Conor McGregor's side, $100 bucks for a guy who's probably made 3 or $4 million in his career. This was a really good idea. But for for the boxing people, for Floyd Mayweather, who's made hundreds of millions in his life, was this a good idea? Uh, I would take the money out of it and I'd say no. Because if, God forbid, he gets uh, knocked out, where do we go from there? Well, where do they go from there? What would happen to boxing if Floyd Mayweather got knocked out? Honestly, I, and I don't expect I it to happen. I think it's it's a one in a hundred chance. It's a, it's one of those. It's why they call it a, a puncher's chance. He might get a punch yeah. through, but I don't expect it. But if it happened, yeah. Vinny, you're, yeah. you're, you hear about this, and you wake up on s- Sunday morning, and it says Floyd Mayweather was knocked out by a guy who really isn't a, bo- a, a boxer. What yeah. becomes of boxing? Yeah, I know, and I, I agree with you. It certainly is not going to enhance the picture of, of uh, boxing. Uh, there are so many people today who uh, are against it, as they've always been years ago. But now the audience is getting a little more selective because they're paying so much money to watch it. They're not just going to go and pay their $10, go in and watch a couple of guys beat the uh, mm-hmm. tire out of one another. If Floyd Mayweather is as good as everybody says he should be, though... Yes. Boxing has, you know, boxing has struggled. Professional boxing, big time professional boxing. We are not in the days these anymore of Ali and Frazier or Ali and Foreman or even Mike Tyson. Boxing has been looking. I mean, the Klitschko brothers were great fighters, but they weren't fan favorites, at least on they, this side of the ocean. That's right. They weren't crowd pleasers. No. And so I'm wondering, boxing has been looking for something to get back into the in front of people's eyeballs. Could this do that? If Floyd Mayweather is great, could yeah. he actually revitalize boxing? Well, you know, anytime that you uh, publicize boxing on television and people see it, you are going to get a certain amount of people that will say, I'd like to do that, I want to do that, or get their children to do it. And every time you expose it, you have a much better chance of getting people to enter the sport. And that's what I'm hopefully watching for, is that after it's over, on Monday the phone will be ringing, and people say, I want a box, Mr. Ryan, I want a box. Come on down, bring out down your $30. Well, and you know, what I have to believe is, especially because of the way that Floyd Mayweather has fought through his career. Floyd Mayweather, for those who don't know very well, he's not Mike Tyson. He's not a guy who's all offense, who goes in and knocks a guy out usually in the first 30 seconds. Floyd Mayweather wins his fights by not getting hit. I mean, probably no fighter who's ever had 49 fights has ever been hit less than Floyd Mayweather. And for a guy like you, who runs a gym... And in a day and age when we hear so much about concussions and we hear about head injuries and everything else, if I'm a parent thinking of my kid, my kid wants to go into boxing or MMA or something, and I see Floyd Mayweather win this fight and not really get hit, boy, then I'm saying, hey, teach my kid how to be that. Exactly, exactly. And you may have some more business then. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully it will be so. 
I'm torn in between both of them because uh, Conor McGregor comes from about a mile from where I live. <laughs> up, up the road. Blo- know, blood the road. forces you to cheer for him a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm cheering for him anyway. I've got to. I've got to. I'd never be able to go back to Ireland if they found out I didn't cheer for him. Because all of Ireland would be cheering for him as well. The whole, hunt, yeah, the whole country is, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But, but, on the flip side... As a boxer, you've got to be as a boxing guy. You must be also cheering for Mayweather in some sense. Yeah, and and rightly so. You know, I'll be looking at him, but it, it's only a one night thing. They'll talk about it for about a, a week or a month afterwards, and then we we'll go on to somebody else. Yep. They might put Donald Trump in, sparring, <laughs> you know, make it really exciting. Vinny, you do. I mean, these are different times, though. I mean, there's no doubt about it that once upon a time, it probably was a lot easier to get people to sign up for boxing. We do live in different times than what it used to be. Do you compete? Do you find right now that you compete for athletes with MMA gyms? There must be some who once upon a time would have gone into boxing who now go down the road to an MMA club. Yes, we do. And uh, the only time I find that, is when they come, they'll come to my club afterwards and say, I was doing this, I was doing that, I was at this other club. And, uh, you know, a lot of parents, uh, whatever they think about boxing, it is safe. It is safe if it's followed properly. And I'm talking about amateur boxing. I'm not touching on pros at all. I'm talking about amateur boxing. And it is a great sport for the kids. And if the guy happens to win a national championship or so like that, I guess picked for boxing for Canada, he can travel all over the world. He can get his education paid for, his university paid for, and see the world. Great experience for them, rather than fighting in a bar down somewhere in Hamilton. How many kids do you get walk into your gym these days, though? I mean, is it, is it yeah. like it used to be, or is it a lot less? Well, it does fluctuate, and it fluctuates during the winter or summertime where a lot of kids take the summer off, and I give them two months off. But I just left the gym tonight, and I would say there's about 30. About, it, is, it was packed tonight. There was no room for anybody else in there tonight. It was that packed. And who is it? Who, who is taking up boxing today? Uh, we do have, and it is nice, we have a lot of immigrant families that bring their children down. To, uh, to learn boxing, whether they want to learn as so as to be able to look after themselves at school, that they're not going to get hurt. And uh, then we have somebody who's way over the hill who wants to uh, be another guy, <laughs> another Muhammad Ali. Do, I mean, do, do we have, I suppose there's adults who are also showing up just to get oh, in yes. shape. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. We have. We've, we have quite a few of those in there. Um, we have, I love to see the younger kids coming in because... It takes approximately 10 years to train a boxer to make the Olympic Games. And that's serious training, 10 years, not 10 months, 10 years. And I see a young kid come in, and I, naturally I see talent in him. I go, wow, we've got another good kid here coming here. Will, you, will those students, now I know it's very expensive to, to buy the fight. It's like 110 or 120 bucks. So I, you right. know, and, I, and when you're talking about a lot of immigrant families, they don't necessarily not have money, but some of them probably uh, are not you know, awash in dough. But do you think a bunch of them, if they had the chance, do you think a bunch of your students would watch this fight? Is there that level of interest? Are you hearing talk about it, in other words, around the oh, gym? they are. They are. They ha- everybody, everybody there has a friend that's going to uh, pay for the fight. 
on pay-per-view. So they're all going to watch. And Yeah, and they'll, they'll all throw in $10 or whatever it is. The room will be packed, and they'll be cheering for whoever they want to cheer for. But no, they, they have no problem. They will be at it, I know, come Monday. They'll, that's all they'll be talking about. I probably won't be able to get them to, um, to train it again, you know. What about you? Will you watch? <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to, right? I mean, it's oh, yeah. it seems yeah. silly in some ways because there's a very good chance this could be a terrible, terrible fight. There really is. That's, there's there's a very realistic chance this thing could either be lopsided or boring or both. I know what you're saying. Yeah. But it's hard the, to look away. Oh, it is. Like, the one good thing I have is my wife is going to pay for the fight. She said she's going <laughs> to It comes out of her purse, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're a lucky man then, because uh, okay. you know everyone else is going to have to pay for. It. Listen, Vinny Ryan, always always love talking to you. Always love having you on. Thanks for taking the time tonight. You, you too, and you take care of yourself, and good luck to all your family. That is okay. Vinny Ryan, who runs McGrory's Gym, one of the legendary. And when I say, I mean, there are several legendary gyms in the city that have pumped out a lot of great fighters over the years. Hamilton has been in history, and most people listening would know this. Hamilton has historically been a great fighter city. We have done a, we have produced a lot of really, really top-notch boxers and more recently MMA fighters, UFC fighters, championship boxers. I mean, one that comes to mind right off the bat who actually covered both territories. Jessica Ricosi, I think, won eight or nine world boxing championships and then went to MMA and landed in the UFC. She did, she played in both worlds, but this city and, and McGrory's have put out a lot. Vinny has coached numerous national champions who have also done well internationally. It is, um, it's interesting. I, 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 I have been torn now for a week, more than a week, about whether I actually on Saturday night want to make the effort to go out somewhere to try to find a seat in some establishment to watch this, or do I just say, this is going to stink this is going to be awful. But you want to know what happened? Last time I went through this and I thought, I want to go see that fight. And then I got to the point and I said, no, it's going to stink. This person always wins. They never lose. And I didn't go. Guess what happened? That was the night they lost and it was a huge upset and it was exciting. And I was like, I'm not going to do that again. But here I am making the same decision again. I will say this as we go to a break. If you are thinking of going to some bar, some restaurant, whatever else, from everything I've heard, I think the fight started like 10 or something like that. You may want to get there like, I don't know, three nights before. (laughs) It's going to be busy. It is a train wreck and people love train wrecks. Not being in them, just watching them. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. As you know, if you've paid attention at all in recent weeks and months, there has been a move afoot to save slash clean up slash revitalize slash bring back to life Westdale Theater. And we're now at a point when stuff is starting to happen that is actually kind of exciting and it's starting to, I mean, while it's completely gutted right now, there are signs that this is going to be kind of a special thing when it's done. Graham Crawford, you, you may know him, I hope you do, from his podcast. He does a great podcast in the city about municipal things, municipal affairs and other things. It's, it's well worth a listen. But he's also a member of the Westdale Cinema Arts Group, 
that is spearheading this whole effort, that's driving this whole effort to bring the Westdale Theater back to life. Um, he actually popped into the studio just now, and we're glad to have you, Graham. Thanks for coming well, thank in. thank you. I thought I was here to sing the theme from the Beverly Hills. If you wish to, you're more than welcome. You can stick around until the next segment, and then rather than have Will play the music, you can sing all the theme <laughs> I songs. I all the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, before we get started, I want to tell you something. I, I want to compliment you on this, because I, as I said a moment ago, I am always in favor of if there's a great historic old building of saving these things, of keeping them, but under certain circumstances. And the problem that I have at times is when some people will demand a historic designation for a building they don't own, they have no skin in the game, it's not going to cost them any money, but they're demanding the person who owns it be on the hook for it. You and your group have done, in my mind, done this the right way. If you want to do it, if you want to save the building, put your money in, buy the place, put the money in to save it. That to me, so I compliment you because this to me is the right way to do this kind of thing. Well, thanks, God. And I will say that we did receive our heritage designation. So it's official now. uh, And we're thrilled with that. And I will tell you that Ward 1 Councillor Aidan Johnson, we met with him before we actually got the keys to the place, but our offer had been accepted. Mm-hmm. So this is back probably in uh, February, March. And he said, I'm, I'm, I want to push for heritage designation. How do you feel about that? And my, one of my board, fellow board members, Fred Fuchs, and I were meeting in Aiden's office. We said, we're fine. We're absolutely fine with that. That's what we want to do. We want to restore it. Otherwise, we may as well buy a parking lot and put up a metal box sure. and put a theater inside of it. Now, that's not what we wanted to do. There, you know, this is the last intact, remaining intact movie theater in Hamilton. Uh, they're, they're all gone or they've been gutted or repurposed. Um, this is actually inside. It's the way it was in 1935 when it first opened. Well, and, but as I say, I, I'm, I applaud the fact that rather than put this on the back of someone else to yeah. do it, yeah. That you were willing, you believe strongly enough in the concept that you, and as I understand it, it was the, the amount that we're talking about is 1.5, something like that million dollars. It's not a, a an insignificant amount that you no, are. No, to restore this, our restoration budget is 1.5 million. Okay. That's after we bought the place. Right. Okay. So we're, we're you know, it, it, <laughs> we'll be into it for several millions uh, of dollars, uh, like around $3 million. But now this is a not-for-profit. So uh, none of us are making a nickel. We're not being paid. We're volunteers. Hopefully you'll make the money back somehow or part of it. Oh, well, we need to make money to sustain the place, but we don't need to make a profit. And none of us are looking for salaries. So it is a little, it's a little more helpful when you have a bunch of retired people uh, who still have enough energy and savvy and spirit uh, to step up to the challenge. But it's also, it's got, you know, it has risk like anything does. You know, Has they, it been easy to find people to support this financially? You have, actually, you do have an idea because you, you live in Hamilton. It was so easy. Really? It was so easy. Now, I mean, I don't want to suggest that, you know, they were, you know, fallen all over themselves to, to give us money. Because, by the way, we, we bought the theater by asking people to loan us money. Now, these are loan, the money is loaned to us at philanthropic rates. A bank wouldn't have touched this. Mm. We had more people uh, offering money than we needed. So we actually said to some people, thank you, but we don't need your money for the mortgage. But if you're interested in, in giving us money to restore it, because the one, one and a half million dollar restoration budget, that's going to be 
those are gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of this is in kind, right? People oh, are giving you things that are worth amounts to, to do stuff. A huge amount of this is in kind. This is the other great thing. I, I know people, many people have heard this, but it's, it's, it just keeps happening. We had a master electrician get in touch with us. And I mean, like a, a, when they say master electrician, I don't mean a guy who's done three bathrooms. <laughs> I'm talking about a certified master right. electrician lockout specialist, which means shutting down power to certain areas of the building so that you can make upgrades. Mm -hmm. Pro bono. Um, We've got a guy, a plasterer, master plasterer, who knows how to do jazz plaster, which is what's inside that theater, free of charge, love to help. Um, They get to watch movies forever, right? For free? But (laughs) not one of them has asked for anything. Now, we're going to do something. (laughs) But that's the nature of this. And we've got over 170 active volunteers. So those are people who have special skills. Some people who say, look, I have no money, but I'll give you my labor. So why? What, what, what's, the, what's the common denominator for why all these people, they're, they're, I mean, everyone's got a different point, a different reason right. I know, but there must be some common denominators for why they're doing it. Well, if I had to pick one, although I think it's, there are more than that, movies. Just I, movies. Movies are the great leveler. I mean, if, do you know anyone who's ever said to you, you know, the one thing I hate is going to the movies. I hate watching movies. Nobody says that. They might say, I don't like going to an art gallery or a museum or a hockey game. Nobody says they don't like movies. But, Graham, there are, within the city of Hamilton, there's got to be 15 theaters where you could go to movies, and everyone has Netflix, and everyone has the uh, you know downloading capability. Right. So you don't, do have, you don't have to watch a movie at Westdale. You don't, and I think that's where the second part, so you asked me to give you one answer, I gave you one, but I have to be honest, you've got to wrap that movie theme uh, with nostalgia and appreciation for Hamilton's past because that's also what's come to the fore. People love the fact. They know this is the last one. And if this one was gutted inside, turned into a nightclub, which it was almost going to happen until we came along mm-hmm. and said, you know, we'll, pay, we'll overpay for the building because we want to keep it as a movie theater. Um, that people like that too. They, I think they understand it. So we've got people coming in from all over Hamilton. So this isn't just people in Westdale, although there's lots of those. But people taking the bus in to do labor, take out seats on a warm Sunday summer afternoon. Um, why? Why would they do that? Because they just kind of want to help. I can't, you know, it's just, it's a remarkable thing. That's why we ended up calling it, we didn't start out this way, it, it was a reaction to what happened, an urban barn raising. So we've got people coming to say, how can I help? Mm-hmm. What can I do? I met a couple today, I was at the theater today, and uh, an older couple came in, they said, we would like to purchase two new seats, but we'd like to show you the ones we want, where we want them. Okay. So walked into the, the-, the auditorium, which is empty now because we've taken all the, s- the old seats out. And they pointed to, to where the seats they wanted, gave me a check for $1,000. They bought two $500 seats. We have two fifty, five hundred, dollars 500 and 1000 And then they turned to me and said, oh, we'd like – and I mean, these are senior citizens. Mm, okay. We'd like to volunteer. Uh, we can't lift stuff, but we could do other things if the – it's like – not only <laughs> they just come in, love their Westdale Theater. They live in Dundas. Um, 
and give me a thousand. Had they grown up? Is this a couple that had grown up going to Westdale Theater at some point? They, they, they have say, grown or? up, but because see, the one thing about the Westdale is, in spite of the fact that they hadn't put much money into it for a while, kudos to the, the previous owner. This is the only place in Hamilton you could go to for you know art house independent specialized kind of movies that the bigger theaters just either wouldn't take or that if they took them, they took them for two days until everybody wanted to see it, had seen it. Um, so it has a, a kind of a special meaning. Otherwise, you know, you had to drive to Toronto to see some of these films. We're going to be a first run for the first time. I, I shouldn't say the first time. That's not fair. The Westdale has not been a first run movie theater for many, many years. It started out that way, and for decades after, it was. But it's going to be a first-run art art film. I mean, as people say, if you like movies with Judy Dench in them, <laughs> you're going to see them at the Westdale. You know? There will be plenty of accents at the, yeah, at the Westdale maybe Theater. Maybe not Arnold Schwarzenegger's, but Judy's <laughs> will be everywhere. You, know? you talked about, though, I mean, the seats are all out. The place is being... Is gutted a fair word? Oh, well, no, it isn't actually. And I do want to because okay. I don't want people to think that's what we're doing. We are restoring okay. the theater. Okay, but where, so what state is it in? Well, it, and I don't mean. I mean, you've taken out the seats. I'm saying, as far as the integrity of the building, is it in good shape? Structurally, it's in good shape. Okay. Um, the the plaster on the walls is actually in decent shape. There's some places that are going to have to be repaired and, and and so on. There were some additions that were done in 1969. So, you know, you have to be of a certain age to even know what the theater used to look like. Uh, but 1969, for example, the facade that everybody knows with the big light box and the Westdale letters on top, that was done in 69. Uh, the, um, there's a, and the lobby was modified in 1969. The snack bar was from 1969. That's all changing because we're bringing it back to 1935. And we have the original architectural drawings and photographs. So we know what it looked like. So we won't be guessing. We'll be replicating. And, and I so, read today or today or yesterday that there was actually a woman who was there on opening night who had pictures. That that has to help. Oh, uh, Scott, this woman came. So we had a booth at the Cactus Festival on, on the weekend. And she came on Sunday on her scooter. And she came straight up to our booth. She's 96 years old, uh, lives in, grew up in Westdale, and said, I was there on opening day, which was August 18th, 1935. And she said, they gave out commemorative glassware, and I've got, got it, and I'd like to give it to you. And I have photographs of opening day. We, we've never seen these things. So, again, and by the way, bless her heart. She took her scooter, took the bus to Dundas because she knew that we had a booth there and she wanted to make sure that she talked to us directly. And that's what she chose to do. That's the kind of spirit that's coming out of the woodwork. By the way, another guy came up at, at the, the Cactus Festival and uh, he was being his mid to late 60s. He said, I used to be an usher there for a couple of the owners going back decades. And... Uh, Jeremy Freiberger of Cobalt Connects, he's working with us on this. He said to the guy, um, do you know anything about, we've been finding these pa these papers in the, there's boxes of papers up in the attic, talking about uh, greyhound dogs. And it's like, what, where does that come from? He said, oh, that's because Mr. So-and-so, the, the owner back, I don't know, probably in the 50s or 40s or something, had, he, ra he raced greyhounds. 
And I guess he was running his greyhound business out of the theater <laughs> and all the paperwork's in the theater. I'd love to know from the original picture, by the way, from the woman who brought it from opening night, what did people wear to opening night back yeah. in 1935? Were, I mean, dressed to the hilt? Uh, well, I, I haven't seen them. Oh, you I, haven't seen them I, yet? No, okay. I have not seen the photo. We will see them within within 10 days. Well, in fact, now less. Um, that's, see, that's an idea. Require formal dress to attend any movie at Westdale Theater. I, I don't know how well that would go. It, but. it, it <laughs> might limit. And, you know, you spill popcorn and that's coke right. on it and stuff. You know. uh, the... the Part of what we've learned in the last little while, when you talked about the facade that has now come down at the front, there was stuff yeah. hidden behind there. There was, and there are, you know, for those uh, who are on social media, please go to our Facebook page, which is the Westdale Cinema Group, and you'll see it, or go to buildingmagic.ca, buildingmagic.ca, our website. You'll see photographs from 1937 that show the facade. It's beautiful. And there are two... Uh, carved limestone masks on either side uh, up above, and they were hidden behind that light box where they used to put the letters on, uh, comedy and tragedy. And the smiles and the frown, yeah. And they are still there. And in good shape. And in excellent shape. They're going to need to be power washed, but that's it. But will they be visible when this oh, is all done? They're not going to be covered again. They will never be covered again. Uh, they, this, this original beautiful Art Deco facade is coming back to Westdale. And, of course, there are people who were in their 70s, 80s, and believe it or not, 90s, who will remember it. And then the rest of us who, you know, whether we're 60s or younger, we, don't, we never saw that facade. While the, the idea is obviously very exciting right now, a lot of stuff is happening yeah. there when you take down the facade and you find this, you know, the, the carving behind or all these things. What happens though, do, do, have you thought through, let's say five years down the road when maybe a little of the excitement has worn or the novelty has worn off, can this sustain itself as a business, as you described, even if it's not for profit, right. once that novelty has worn off? Or how, maybe I should rephrase it, how do you maintain it as a business once the novelty wears off? Well, I mean, for it to, I mean, you know, I believe, we believe as a board, for it to fail, movies, film would have to fail. People would have to stop wanting to see movies at a theater. And that hasn't stopped. You know, because, of course, when Netflix happened, when big screen, flat screen TVs with, you know, surround sound, everybody's, oh, the movie business is dead, except that, that the movie business has been dead, apparently. Every, when TV came out, it was going to die, and it hasn't died. Um, it's not going to die. There is a different experience, as we all know. When you sit in a movie theater and the lights dim and so on, it's, I don't care what kind of home theater you've got. It's not the same. I don't care if you pump the smell of popcorn into your <laughs> whole movie theater. It's not the same. So that's going to happen. But more than that, 80% of what we're going to do is film. 20% is going to be other stuff. And that other stuff is going to include things like uh, uh, chamber music, acoustic uh, music, you know, guitars and so on, jazz, uh, speakers. I mean, I, I hope one day I'm going <laughs> to see in the not too distant future, Margaret Atwood sitting on that stage because we're enlarging the stage. Um, speaking about uh, either her latest book or a book or just herself and, the, and a full house of 385 people, including space for the very first time for people with disabilities in wheelchairs and a universal washroom that they can use, which they have never been able to use. There is, I mean, there is in this city, we only have a minute or two left, there is 
proof that this kind of thing can work. And it's not exactly the same, but up on concession, the Zoetic oh, Theater the Zoetic is has, done, ha- has done interesting things to make itself not a first-run movie theater. Right. But it's still, when they have their events on, they seem to be filling the place. They, they do. And, and, you know, good for them for keeping it going, too. I agree with you. And they do interesting stuff. Sing-along movies. And, right. You know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we're going to, but we are upgrading the, uh, the projection equipment and the audio equipment to state-of-the-art. So we're going to have, you know, for those who are nerds about this stuff, a Christie projector which, you know, is now about the size of a microwave oven. But the, the other one, the old ones, which are still upstairs, yeah, we're hummers. are huge <laughs> things. Um, and I wanted to say one last thing, Scott. We, I met with a, a woman uh, who is from Westdale, a supporter of the arts. A Christie projector is $38,000. And she said, I will buy that projector for you. And she's not the only one giving us that kind of money. And also people are buying our pins for $19.35 and everything in between. It's, it's the na- We've got young families buying $250 movie seats and putting their young son or daughter's name on it. Um, it's a Hamilton thing. Trust me. This is just a thing of beauty. Could you see, and again, I'm running over it already, but could you see, go back to the very beginning of this discussion. I want to reiterate, I think you've done this right because you've put your money and you can now do this the right way. Could you see doing this with other places? If this is a success, (laughs) are there other places that you look at that you say, yeah, we would consider it? Way too old and way too comfortable. Could others involved in this? Do do you get the sense that there are, is that desire? One of the things I want to have happen out of this, aside from the obvious thing, this movie place gets restored and people are going, I'm going, you're going, we're loving it, um, is I want the story of how Hamilton restored a movie theater to be told across the country. This urban barn raising, we didn't just buy a theater, but throw a bunch of money in it, hire a bunch of professionals, they're done. 170 active volunteers, all ages, both genders, uh, coming out on weekends and evenings, helping to put this thing together. People just give gifts in kind. We've got master craftspeople giving, giving us doors that don't exist, but for which we have photographs and drawings from 1935. These things are worth tens of thousands of dollars. They're giving them to, they're making them for us and giving them to us. Neon experts, Hamilton-based neon experts, I'm there. You tell me what I can do. I'll do it for nothing. Th- that is so amazing. And it's a heritage property. So, like, where's that happening? What other city in this country is that happening? In? Well, maybe it is, but I'm telling you, I'm kind of tapped into heritage circles. I'm not hearing that. I do hear a lot about people throwing millions of dollars at old buildings and fixing them up, but anybody can do that. But you can't do it this way. And Hamilton is doing this differently. And I love it. Uh, Your website's again, very quickly. Yeah, sure. If someone wants to check it out. Sure. Facebook page is uh, Westdale Cinema Group. And our web uh, uh, website is buildingmagic.ca. And failing either of those two, just drive by the place. Drive it by. Actually, it is there. Chances are we'll be inside. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> Graham Crawford, I uh, really appreciate you doing this. And by the way, check out his website. What's your website uh, for your podcast? Pardon me. Well, thank you. It's the GrahamCrawfordShow.ca. You can go. It's, it's, a, it's a really good thing. It's a really good listen. I mean, preferably don't listen between seven and nine on weeknights, <laughs> exactly. but at nine o'clock, tune in and listen to the Graham Crawford Show. It is worth your time. Graham, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.